verses 28 through 32a. Joel 2, 28 through 32. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's pray. Lord, again, we, we need you to uh, fulfill the promise that you made that you would take care of your sheep, that you would feed your sheep. And we pray today that you would feed your sheep with uh, the word, Lord. And I pray that this word would not go out and fall on deaf ears or hard hearts, but God would be received by all who hear and that it would there would be a response in such a way that your name would be glorified, Lord. So we ask you now, I ask you, Lord, to fill me afresh with your spirit. Anoint me to preach your word. Help me to be sensitive to your spirit. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Full house when we all get together under one roof, right? There's a lot of people missing. I ran across a, a friend of mine this week and he has a 2003 Volkswagen. I think it's a Passat. And it, was, it looked like somebody had taken a hammer to it. All over the driver's side, all over the roof, and all the top of the car, and the passenger side was fine. And I said, what in the world happened? He goes, well, I was caught in that hailstorm in West Salem. And he had pictures of the hail. This big. I was shocked. He took four of them and he put them on his windshield, propped them up on, by the wiper blade. And so he had the picture of these things. And then he showed me pictures of the ground. There were huge divots in the ground. And I went, I have never seen, you know, known of, of hail this big around here. And, you know, when we read about the end times, we hear about all these natural disasters that are going to start happening. It's not just that, but we hear about how good will become evil and evil will become good. We see that people in authority will have uh, very little morals, very little integrity. Around the world we see these things happening. And I don't know what your specific eschatology is, that's your belief in how the end times will break down. It doesn't matter. I think we would all agree with this. That we are a day closer to the end today than we were yesterday. And when we look at Hosea, we see that Hosea reveals the heart of God. We talked about that last week. What Joel does is it reveals the hand of God. The hand of God that controls destinies. He has your life in his hand from beginning to end. 
the hand that moves human history, the hand that orchestrates the last things. That is our God. And what we will find today is the main point of this message is simply this. Live today in light of the coming day of the Lord. Live in light, in the light of the coming day of the Lord. Uh, when it comes to the book of Joel, we really don't know with certainty when it was written. Sometime between the 9th and 6th century B.C., because we know that Joel quoted seven Old Testament prophets. So it causes a, a problem to know when exactly this particular book was written. The name Joel means Jehovah is God, and there are about 12 men in the Bible with this name. 12 guys with the name of Joel. Uh, we know almost nothing about this Joel that wrote uh, this prophetic book. Uh, other than that, he was a prophet to Judah, which is the southern kingdom. And what happened was, he had a prophecy, a, a single prophecy, a single vision, but it was very unique in this sense, that it was uh, really a prophecy or a vision about what, was, what had just recently happened, but also what was real close to happening in the near future, and it was a prophecy about the distant future. As a matter of fact, beyond our time today. That's a picture of this book of Joel and what God was speaking through Joel. Remember, all of God's word is God's word, not man's ideas. So take a look. Here is the outline of Joel. Chapter 1 is really talking about a past day of the Lord, referring to what had happened. It was a recent historical judgment on Judah by a locust horde and drought. So in the first chapter, Joel is talking about the day of the Lord that had happened. He was talking about this judgment of God that God brought upon Judah for her sin of idolatry. And then we go to chapter 2. Chapters 1 through 27 is about a future day of the Lord, a coming judgment of Judah in the near future. So he said, this thing that just happened to you is the judgment of God. It was the day of the Lord, the hand of God, and there's something else coming. And that is, uh, there's going to be coming an invading nation. That's the hand of God as well. That's a day of the Lord coming, and this invading army. And then in verses uh, chapter 2, 12 through 17, was a call to repentance. Repent, turn from your ways now, before this judgment hits. And then finally, 21 through 27, if you repent, here are the promises of physical restoration of Judah. So there's the first two chapters of Joel. Then we get to the third chapter, and suddenly things shift. It's about the future day of the Lord. Not something that's going to happen within the next year, but something that is going to happen in the future. And that's chapter 228 through 321. And we see in verses 28, chapter 228 through 32, God's Spirit will fill all His people. That's a prophecy. And then we see in chapter 3, 1 through 16, that there is a great and terrible final judgment. And then finally, in 17 through 21, the renewal of all creation. That's the pattern that we find in Joel. We see that the judgment 
to Judah that happened in the past was these locusts and the drought. There was coming soon judgment. I think it was by the Assyrians. And then ultimately, the final cataclysmic judgment, or what we would know as the day of the Lord. Um, you know what's interesting is that the purpose for God sending the horde of locusts and the drought was the same purpose that is outlined in Joel for God and this day of the Lord coming in the future, the final judgment. The purpose was the same. And that purpose was this. For God to make known that he is God alone. There are no others. And that he alone is to be loved and to be worshipped and to be served above all things. That's why the locust, that's why the coming judgment, God is going to display his glory saying, I am the only God. Take a look. Here's from Joel. Now, again, Joel 2.27. He's talking about this coming army. And you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there's none, no, none else. That was talking about the coming invading army. He says, I have a purpose behind this, that you will know I am the only God. And then we see in Joel 3, 3 16 through 17. Again, these are talking about the coming day of the Lord. And the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth quake. But the Lord is a refuge to his people, a stronghold to the people of Israel. So you shall know that I am the Lord your God who dwells in Zion, my holy mountain, and Jerusalem shall be holy, and strangers shall never again pass through it. I am doing these things to show that I am the only God, I alone, and worthy to be praised and honored and glorified. That's the purpose for these things, the glory of God in the past and in the future. That's the picture that we see here. And Joel is interesting because I almost look at Joel as like the Old Testament revelations. You know, because lay, he lays out so much stuff here in such a condensed few verses, but it is just packed with some of the most significant end-time prophecies in the Bible. What we see is that he gives these uh, details of the final divine judgment and... Something that he prophesied about that has been fulfilled, and you're experiencing that fulfillment today, right now, at this moment. That's where you are in the book of, of Joel. It's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Take a look at God's word. Joel prophesying. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And then we go to Acts chapter 2, okay, where the Holy Spirit descended upon the disciples in the upper room, and the people were going, what is wrong with, what's happening here? Well, Joel prophesied an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. God made a promise. And look at it in Acts chapter 2, 15 through 18. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. This is a fulfillment. What you just saw, what you're seeing, 
as these people are speaking in languages they don't know. It's the fulfillment of what God promised hundreds of years ago through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. You see what I mean by that prophecy being fulfilled and you're experiencing the fulfillment of that prophecy? Because if you're a believer today, what happens is, is that the Holy Spirit indwells you. And I don't assume that people understand who the Holy Spirit is, so here's just some basic information. First of all, the Holy Spirit is fully God. He's fully God. He is the third person of the Trinity, our triune God. And at this time, he is the primary manifestation of the Trinity in the church age. The Holy Spirit indwells all Christians at the moment that they receive the gift of salvation. That's why I say this is fulfilled in part today. Because if you're a believer, the Holy Spirit dwells within you. God poured out His Spirit upon you. And the Holy Spirit dwells within you, is what it says in the Word of God. At the moment you receive the gift of salvation, a miracle happened. You need to hear this. A miracle happened in that you were remade. The terms that we would use would be there was a new birth that happened. You were, in Christianese, born again. Something happened to you. Take a look at God's word again. John 14, 17, Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. That's the fulfillment of the prophecy in Joel. 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? And finally, 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You need to understand something about the moment that you were saved by God's grace. Okay, it's this, that you just didn't get something you didn't have before. What happened is you became someone you weren't before. Hear that. You didn't hear that. You just get something. You became someone you weren't before. You were dead before is what the scriptures say. You were spiritually dead But then what happened by God's grace and mercy when he filled you with his spirit, you became alive to Christ. You're dead and now you're alive. You were guilty before. You were guilty as charged. You walked with that guilt. You bore that guilt. And then by God's grace, he poured out all the punishment for your sin on Christ. And that guilt was removed because of the grace and mercy of God, Christ's sacrifice on the cross. And you went from being guilty to being forgiven. You went 
You went from being an enemy of God. That's the term that the Bible uses. If you don't know Jesus today, that's the term that the Bible uses to describe you. Boy, that's harsh coming from the pulpit. It's the truth. And I think the truth will set you free if you, if you really receive it. If you don't know Christ before you knew Jesus, you are an enemy of God is what the Bible says. But at that moment that you received the gift of salvation, the Spirit of God indwelled you, you became a friend of God. You were adopted into the family. You became a child of God. You became someone you weren't before. Hear that. Hear that. What a miracle happened that moment that God's grace overwhelmed you and received the gift of salvation. And it wasn't a result of anything that you did. It was the grace of God. It was the grace of God. He could have left you and he didn't. What a savior. What a friend. It was all God's doing. It was all God's grace. Always was, always is, and always will be about God and His grace and His mercy in your life. Always. Not about your works. And so you have received the gift of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the living God dwelling within us. What a mystery. You could stop right now and just worship, right? What a mystery that is. Yet it's a truth. And God commanded us in his word that we are to be filled constantly with the Holy Spirit. Be constantly filled with the Holy Spirit. Take a look at God's word again. Ephesians 5.18 Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled. It really means be being filled. It's a continuous thing. But be filled with the Holy Spirit, with the Spirit. And then Romans 8, 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. And then 1 Thessalonians 5, 19. Do not quench the Spirit. What that means is this, that you do not progressively receive the Holy Spirit in degrees and doses until you're full. That's not what it's talking about. What happened is that every Christian, every believer who possess, every believer possesses the Holy Spirit in all his fullness the moment you're saved. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. You did some, the Holy Spirit doesn't leak out of you over time, or you don't get like 10%, and as you read more of the Bible, you keep getting more of the Holy Spirit. You get 100% of the Holy Spirit at the moment you receive the gift of salvation. 100%. And he doesn't leak out somehow. So you've got to be refilled. So what's he talking about here? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the Holy Spirit having all of us. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about the Holy Spirit having all of us. You know how we like to separate out areas of our lives and say, don't touch that area, God? Kind of, I'm keeping that for myself. That's my little area of rebellion. 
And so when he's talking about be filled with the Holy Spirit, he's talking about saying, you know what? Allow the Holy Spirit to have control of you, that you would submit to him day by day and moment by moment. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why I pray before I preach, God, fill me afresh with your spirit. I want to be sensitive to to your leading. I want to hear you. I want to walk in your spirit when I preach, God. That's what he's talking about. Be filled with the spirit. It's not this this one-time thing. If you look in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, you can see that happening numerous times to Peter. He's talking about the Holy Spirit having control of us and us submitting to him. Be filled. Be filled. Not little sections and little areas and little times of the week. Be filled with the Spirit. And you know what, brothers and sisters? Because that is true, because when you receive the gift of salvation, the Spirit of God dwells within you. A hundred percent. And that means this. That means this, that the Holy Spirit will empower you to live today in light of the day of the Lord. He empowers us to do that, to live in such a way that we can honor God in our thought, words, and deeds constantly. See, that's a pretty high bar. Well, I think that's the bar that we should be shooting for, don't you? Because I think we have a tendency in Christianity to lower the bar. Usually within our, 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 our realm of, of friends, it's not about, man, you're, you're, uh, uh, your bar is, is too low, right? We say, he's, he's too spiritual. Really? How can that be? I'm to be filled with the Spirit. I'm to submit to Him moment by moment. And He empowers me then to walk in these times that we live in in the situations that you're in in your life. I don't know what baggage you brought in here. I don't know the struggles that you have. But I know that if you're a believer, the Spirit of God dwells within you, and He is empowering you to walk in a way that would bring God glory and honor in your thought, word, and deed. And that's being filled with the Spirit. That's walking in the Spirit. That's what it's talking about. Now what's interesting is this, is that this truth of being filled with the Spirit, the fact that we are God's children, it has the same purpose, that truth, those truths have the same purpose as it did back then in Joel's time. Joel brings this prophecy forward, and he says, these things that are happening are the hand of God. He's disciplining you, and he's got a bigger plan. And he talks then about throughout Joel of how, don't worry, I have you. Don't worry. Why? He talks about this day. I mean, everything's going to turn black. The, the moon's red. Everything's breaking loose. How are you going to be at peace in that time? Well, because of the truth that you're God's people. And you see, the purpose that Joel brought this prophecy forward that God had him was so that God's people would live with faith and hope and joy 
not fear. Think about this. He, was, he had just said, repent, or this coming army is going to destroy you, but God will not abandon you. Why would he say that? So that they would have hope. I can trust that God is faithful. God is strong. The great and terrible day of the Lord. And he said that so that we as believers would not walk in fear in the midst of the world as it's coming apart because we understand that God is sovereign, that he is the one who holds the world in his hands. He is the one who determines, as I said in the beginning, destinies and human history and orchestrates the last things. So we don't walk in fear. We can have a peace in the middle of the chaos. Take a look at God's word here in Joel Joel 2.32, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He said, you'll be saved. Call on the name of the Lord. You'll be saved. Joel 3.17-20, so you shall know that I am the Lord your God who dwells in Zion, my holy mountain, and Jerusalem shall be holy. Look at these promises. And strangers shall never again pass through it. My kingdom will not be broken. My kingdom will not collapse. It will be eternal. I have called the people to myself. They will be mine forever. And no one can take them from my hand. No one can destroy my kingdom. I am the living God. And he goes on in verse 20, But Judah shall be inhabited forever, and Jerusalem to all generations. That's a promise from God that gave those people comfort, knowing that, you know what, our God is the God, the one and only God, the living God. And no one can destroy him. No one can stand in his way. And no matter what is happening, I can trust that God will fulfill all his purposes in my life and in human history. And that his kingdom will stand forever. And that gave those people peace back then. And it should give us peace today, knowing the truth of what is the future holds. And then in Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, in him... You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of your inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. He's saying the fact that you are filled with my spirit guarantees that you will spend eternity with me in heaven. It's the guarantee. You see the wisdom of God way back in Joel. He said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. Hundreds of years later, the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost. And ever since that time, all believers receive the gift of the Holy Spirit when we receive salvation. And he dwells within us as a guarantee. That's a big word. As a guarantee that all the promises that God has made in his word about his people are yours. They are yours. You don't earn them. You don't get points. They're yours because of the grace and mercy of God. That's a picture that we have here today. That the final battle will be won. For sure. The final battle will be won. And God... God's judgment will be handed down. Here's good news. 
all the wrongs will be put right. That's where my hope is. I don't know. I read the, the, the news and you say, well, they're going to bring this charge up against this person and that. And don't you think this? You go, they ain't going to do nothing. Nobody's going to pay for this stuff, right? They're going to get away with it. Maybe on this side of eternity. But all the wrongs will be righted. And God's people will be established forever with God. That's the promise. And that's the thing we keep learning over and over again. How do we live today in the struggle of today's world? We do two things. We look back and remember God's faithfulness, and we look forward to all the promises he's made us. And he will be faithful. I believe that Pentecost began but was not the complete fulfillment of Joel's Day of the Lord prophecy. I believe there's going to be a wider outpouring of the Holy Spirit that is yet to come, an awakening of the church sent to finish up the Great Commission. I believe that. I think that was the start, but there's going to be some kind of supernatural outpouring. We're going to have a maybe a supernatural courage. I don't know what it all means. And part of the reason I believe that is because not all of the prophecy has been fulfilled. Because when we look at this, we see that there were celestial signs that have not yet occurred. They're there. And I think the fact that Pentecost happened is another guarantee that all these things that Scripture says that Joel prophesied are going to happen. They're coming. Just a matter of time. Take a look at God's Word again. A lot of, lot of, of God's Word coming forward today. Joel chapter 2, 30 through 31. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. I don't believe that's happened yet. I believe it's going to happen. That's why I say even the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, I think there's going to be something even more supernatural to fulfill that completely. And then look at Mark 13, 24 through 26. But in those days, after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. And then in Matthew 24, 6 through 9 and 14, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Isn't that true right now? Wow. You get on the internet and you see all these wars happening here and here, and you go, I, what? I didn't know that. Wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. Look at that. Don't worry. So when you read that, do you worry? What's going to happen? I mean, are we going to be in war with China? And what would happen if this, oh my goodness. And God says there's going to be, listen, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. Don't worry. Do not be, see that you are not alarmed. For this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nations will rise against nations and kingdoms against kingdoms. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of the birth pains. Then they shall deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. 
and you will be hated by all the nations for my name's sake. And then in verse 14, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. And then the end will come. So what I believe is this, that biblically we are living in the last days right now. Because the last days I believe in Scripture are those times between Jesus' first coming as the suffering servant and as his second coming as the glorious conquering king on the day of the Lord. That's what I believe. Because I believe Scripture shows us that. Take a look at what God's Word says. Joel. This is an interesting little change here. Probably didn't pick it up right away, but look at Joel says in 20, verse 28, 228, and it shall come to pass afterward. Afterward what? After the judgment of the army coming against Judah. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Peter shifts it a little bit. Look at what Peter says, Acts chapter 2. Remember, still inspired by God. Not a mistake in Scripture. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. That happened at Pentecost over 2,000 years ago. Then it goes on in 1 Peter 4, 7. The end of all things is at hand. That was what Peter was saying back then. And Hebrews 1, verse 2 And 9 verse 26. In these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. And then in verse 9, chapter 9 verse 26. He has appeared once for all, when? At the end of the ages, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. The cross. And finally, 2 Peter 3, 10 through 11. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, since the day of the Lord is coming, brothers and sisters, since this is going to happen, what about today? I love this. Since all of these, thing, these th- things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you be in lives of holiness and godliness? Saying because all this stuff is true, because this is what's going to happen in the end, it should affect the way you live today. It should affect the way you live to desire to be godly and to be holy and to honor God, to be filled with the Spirit and submitting to the Spirit. Embracing the things that are of God's word that delight God over the things that are man-centered. He said, because all this is true, it should affect you. It should cause you to want to live holy. The afterword in Joel is translated in the last days. You see, What Joel is, if you look at, step back and look at it from the top down, it's the gospel, isn't it? What Joel is, 
is the redemptive story in good news, bad news prophecy. It starts out with the bad news, doesn't it? The bad news of the gospel. The fact that we're sinners separated from God. Because of that truth, there's a dreadful judgment coming. For us individually, if you don't know Christ. There's also the day of the Lord coming where the wrath of God will be poured out on all who refuse to repent. You see what the law does, we see the bad news here in one sense is the law because what the law does is it exposes our sin. It says, you know what, you're not doing what was required to spend eternity in heaven. You have to be perfect and you're not perfect. You still struggle with lying and stealing. You've broken God's law, and because of that, you're separated from Him. The law shows us that. And it has no capacity to help us to bridge that gap, to take care of that problem. That's the bad news. And you have to accept the bad news first before you can really get to the good news. Otherwise, the good news isn't good news. That's the problem in the world today, right? Nothing is sin. Nothing is sin. Nothing offends God. We can switch genders and say it's not, that's not what the Word of God says because there's no fear of God. And what happens is, is that we, we see that because there is no sin, then there's no need for grace, right? If there's no bad news, why do you need to hear good news? You're okay. That's why it's so critical that what Joel is doing is he's laying down the bad news. He's saying, the judgment of God is coming because you refuse to repent, people. You're not turning your heart to God. And so the judgment of God is coming. Repent. Repent. And you see, then we see the good news of the gospel here. Because what happens is this, please hear this, please hear this, all of us, that God's mercy and grace are even more powerful than his wrath. Who can stay the hand of the living God? No one, except God himself. And that's why God's grace and mercy are so amazing. Because we deserve God's judgment. And yet, God in His grace and His mercy provided a solution. He sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross. That He would live this perfect sinless life, meet the requirements of heaven that we couldn't do, and then go to the cross and be punished for sin not His, our sin. Why? So that we could receive the gift of salvation. We could have the mercy and grace of God in our lives. It is an incredible thing, the mercy and grace of God. It assuages the wrath of God because of the cross. It's the incredible good news right here in the book of Joel. God provided deliverance from the judgment. 
The coming day of the Lord. Who can stand against it is what it says in Joel. Who can stand in the day of the Lord? No one is the wrath. No one can. Except those who would know Jesus. Take a look at God's word again. Well, let's see where we're at. That is correct. It shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone. Everyone. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls, the called ones, the sovereignty of God. And in Joel 2.13, rend your garments, or rend your hearts, not your garments. See, that was the problem. They did a lot of outward, oh, I'm sorry, you know, bring the offerings and all this other stuff. But their hearts were not repentant. He said, rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. Look at this, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster. The grace and mercy of God. It's amazing, the power of the grace and mercy of God. And then in Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead on our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. You see, brothers and sisters, Jesus in the book of Joel, he is the judge of the nations. He is the judge of the nations. And Jesus is also the rescuer and restorer of his people. So my cry to us today is this. If you do not know Jesus as your, as your Lord and Savior, I want you to know, live in the light of the coming day of the Lord and repent. Repent. Acknowledge you're a sinner separated and you have no hope apart from Jesus. Repent. And for those of us that do know Jesus, here's my challenge for you today. Live in light of the coming day of the Lord. Live in holiness and godliness, but live with an urgency for those you love that are dying, that don't know Jesus. Live with an urgency that the day of the Lord is coming and many that you love will be left to receive the wrath of God. Pray for them. Share the gospel with them. But have an urgency about your heart for your lost friends because God put them in your life for a purpose. That's my call today, brothers and sisters. If you know him, live in light of the coming day of the Lord. He'll give you hope in the craziness It'll give you a burden and a fire in your gut for those who are lost. And if you don't know Jesus, my prayer for you is that you would repent today and receive the gift of salvation. Let's pray. Lord, we stand in awe of who you are. You are our loving Savior, filled with grace and mercy and forgiveness. And you are also 
the coming king, the day of the Lord when your wrath will be poured out upon the rebels on this earth. God, in a way that no one can stand. So I pray today, God, that you would save the lost, Lord, with the urgency of this message. I pray, God, that you would work in the hearts of your people. God, that we would choose to live in a way that is fearless and is urgent for those who are lost. God, cause us to put our hope in you and not in the things in the world around us. And God, we thank you that we read the end of the book and that your kingdom will stand for eternity. And by your grace and your mercy, we will be there. And we thank you, Jesus. We pray in his precious name. Amen.